Welcome to How They Get Stuff Done, where we ask successful people about the productivity habits behind their success. Side effects of listening to this show may include elevated levels of motivation, acute feelings of inspiration, and lasting improvements to your productivity. Now, here's your host, Peter Akis. Hey, folks. Today, I'm speaking with Graham Cochran. Graham is an entrepreneur, podcaster, YouTuber, and business coach. In 2009, after getting laid off twice in one year, he started to teach people how to record professional-sounding music from home. That business, the Recording Revolution, took off, and today the Recording Revolution YouTube channel has 600,000 subscribers. Teaching people something he loves to do on the internet transformed Graham's life. So a few years ago, he decided to teach others how to follow his path. For this second business, Graham runs a YouTube channel as well as a podcast, The Graham Cochran Show. I'm a big fan of Graham's podcast, and you should check that out even if you're not super into online business because he often shares fantastic productivity techniques. Graham and I discuss eliminating tasks for which you cannot prove that they matter, what to do if you want to work less but are worried about what might happen if you do, why you should think like an entrepreneur even if you work in corporate, and much more. Enjoy the show. Hi, Graham. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Peter. So the first thing I want to ask you about is something that you know I was really curious to get your thoughts on, because you run a podcast, Graham, The Graham Cochran Show, and we're talking on a podcast right now. And somehow podcasting has just really showed up in my life more in the last year. And I wanted to, to ask you, why do you have a podcast and what do you like about podcasting as a medium? Yeah, that's a great question. I was being asked for a couple of years to start a podcast. So it was like fans are like, hey, please start a podcast. Like I don't I don't watch videos on YouTube or I'd, I'd rather listen to it in the car or whatever. And so I felt like a lot of people were asking for a podcast and I didn't, I didn't feel like I wanted to add another thing to my plate. So I kind of put it off. But then I decided to combine it with my weekly video on YouTube and, and just film it, make it a video podcast because what I was what appealed to me about the podcast platform was the the format that it was longer which if it's a little bit longer it allows you to have a different style of communicating you don't have to be so tight you don't have to be so scripted you don't have to be so to the point not but that could be bad if you just drag on and ramble and talk about nonsense but I I feel like I could stay on task but it would allow me to have deeper conversations um, get into some of the nuances that I think would be valuable to listeners and uh, I figured it would allow me to just hit record and go and not have to do any editing. So in a way, it almost made video production more efficient for me. So it was like all of these reasons together, I tried an experiment almost two years ago, switching my YouTube channel from 10, 15 minute tightly edited videos to you know 30 minute video podcasts. And uh, so it was both because people requested and I wanted to give it a shot. And uh, I think what I like about it now is the listeners who do listen they're really tuned in. Like on YouTube, someone might watch a couple of minutes and they might get some value out of it. But in a podcast, people that listen, they listen almost all the way through. And so that's pretty powerful to have that kind of attention. Um, you get a deeper level of connection with the audience. It might be a smaller audience, but it's deeper and and, and that's pretty powerful. It is. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned YouTube because um, 
you have multiple YouTube channels, one of them quite popular, like 600,000 subscribers, right? So you know as well as anyone that on YouTube, I mean, you have like 10 seconds to get people's attention. <laughs> you know, like if, if you don't convince them in the first 10 seconds that they got to keep watching your video, they will just bolt. And yep. on podcasting, it's like you're saying, you can talk, like you're, some of your episodes, like what, 45 minutes or something, and it's just you talking, right? And yeah. it's interesting because I felt, this is the first time that you and I are actually sort of speaking, but I felt like I already knew a lot about you because I listened to a bunch of your podcast episodes. So there really is that connection where you almost feel somewhat, you've been in my ear for a bunch of hours, you know, <laughs> like when I'm going yeah. on a walk through the city or whatever. Um, so I'm kind of curious when you record your podcast episodes, again, it's just you talking for listeners who haven't listened to your show yet. Do you just sit down and start talking? Because you don't ramble. You mentioned it's easy to ramble, but I noticed you don't do that. So do you have notes or is it just like you really pace yourself yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I do have some notes. Some episodes, there's more notes than others. Sometimes it's literally three bullet points, and that's all I have. Um, so it depends on the episode. But I have my laptop out, uh, and I have my camera in front of me and my microphone because, again, I'm. it's almost harder with a video podcast because I have to look at the camera. Um, oh, yeah. I almost, if it was just a regular audio podcast, I feel like it would be so much easier but I'm trying to kill two birds with one stone, which I guess is the whole productivity thing we're talking about today too. But uh, I just have my notes and I don't mind referencing them, like looking down at them while I've got the, the video going. It keeps it casual in a way, but I've also been speaking on camera and doing content. I've had a few podcasts in the past with other people. I've been doing content for 12 years, every single week. Um, and so you just get better <laughs> at communicating but also when you when you teach about the same topics over and over again as I'm sure you do with productivity you 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 really start to remember some of your own core beliefs or your, the strategies that you've seen and a lot of the same things come up and so you can talk about them with a lot of clarity without having to either reference too many notes or stop and think too much um, so you you get better at that. So I think the combination I think it was a good time for me to go into a podcast like this because I felt pretty comfortable speaking about any of these topics off the cuff and just a couple of notes keeps me going, keeps me on task. Yeah. And when you have 12 years of experience talking about stuff, I mean, you know, that really polishes your message, right? So, <laughs> so you think exactly. It's just repetition. Exactly. Yep. So let's get into productivity a little bit. And I want to start here. You've mentioned that, you know, you've produced a lot of pieces of content over the past, let's call it decade plus, right? So for the recording revolution business, um, but now also for sort of the business that you're running under the Graham Cochran personal brand where you're helping other people, you know, start an online business. I think that's that's a fair way of saying it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, creating automated income. So would you consider yourself a very productive person? Yeah, I would. I, I'm, I'm big on output because I understand I need to output a lot of content to to funnel into the business. Um I do I do think though that people think I do more than I do. Like it looks like I'm busier <laughs> than I am. I, I but I and we could talk we can go wherever you want to go with this and I, I'm sure you you've got a lot of thoughts on this too, but as long as I'm doing the right things, my business can be productive and so I, I there's a lot of things I don't do that could take up a lot of time, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. So let's start here. What does it mean to you to be productive? Like if I asked you to define that, how would you measure for yourself? Am I being productive whether that's today or what this year, you know? How do you measure that? That's a great question. 
I think people really, really are bad at this. Um, oh, yeah. People suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say suck, but yeah, they, exactly. People <laughs> suck at this. So it starts, it starts for me with zooming way out and knowing what is truly important to achieve the things I want to achieve in life, right? Mm. So it's all of life, not just work, but let's just zoom in on work. What does it take to generate revenue in my business um, and to hit, then hit my specific business goals and then personal financial goals, let's say, or growth goals if I want to reach a certain number of people in my audience or whatever. I just reverse engineer what it takes to reach those goals and identify the tasks that really move the needle. And this is where 80-20, uh, that principle comes into play. I, I love Tim Ferriss's work on this. I think he really got me into the 80-20 rule when I read the four-hour work week years ago. And I now reread that book once a year, mostly that section, the elimination section of his book. If you haven't read that, it's a good one for everyone listening. But that section alone is worth the price of admission of the book because he really challenges all the tasks we do, whether we're an employee or work for ourselves, especially if you work for yourself. It's almost worse. There's so many tasks I could do that seem important, could feel good, and I could come home and say, I did a lot today. But it takes more work to, to take time out of your, your, your rhythm and maybe get away for a few hours or a day and analyze everything I do in a week or a month or a year, which of those tasks really contributes the most to growth in my business and which ones don't or which ones I can't really tell. And so I do that once a, at least once a year in January, sometimes twice a year, I'll break up the year and, and reassess, am I aware of which activities really matter? Once I can figure that out, and that's hard, so I'm skipping a lot, but if you could figure out what, so for <laughs> me, I'll be specific, for both of my businesses, the way the business model is set up, the most important task I could do is create a video or podcast. A new piece of content being created is the most and highest use of my time because that is what allows me to continue to pop up in search results on YouTube or Google. So it allows me to be discovered, new people find me, and then the rest of my business is set up to capture those leads, present my products, I can get paid. So it could be very easy for someone like me to say, I've got over a decade of content, I'm just gonna relax. But I know that the fresh new content is what the algorithms look for to know that I'm still a relevant source of information. And so there's a lot I could do that I don't because I think the most important thing is that content. So I wanna make sure that my weeks and days are set up so that I get that content done. And I could apply that to any other task that is important maybe below that. So to get to your question, I know I've been productive if that day or that week I have followed my plan of doing the tasks that I had said in my right mind at the beginning of the year or whenever are the ones that truly drive the business. And I just have met peace with that, knowing that even though in business you'll do a task and you may not see the fruit of it for many, many months, I know instinctually and inherently that that is the right thing for me to be doing. So I only do those things and I can ignore the other things. And that's generally how I measure my activity in the day, if that makes sense. Yeah, and so it sounds like you have a lot of focus. Like you know for you what is the most important work that you have to get done, right? The thing that feeds your income engine, basically. Um, I want to zoom in on how you keyed in on, you know, oh, it's creating videos or podcast episodes or other kind of content, you know? So let's say we have a listener and maybe they're doing creative work, um, or, you know, like I, get, I get a lot of people that are actually like trying to start a YouTube channel that, you know, is getting some traction, for example. Um, but also people that are just, 
you know, their business owners, whether that's a small business or they're a manager, a company, you know, what, how can they say, okay, Graham, I understand that. It makes sense that you to focus on what's your most important work, but how do you actually identify that? How do you sit down and make that list of what is more important and what is less important? And then how do you discipline yourself to, to focus on those higher generate, you know, higher value generating work activities first? Oh yeah. I mean, those are two very important and different tasks. So going back to Tim Ferriss's book, he has this section in the four hour work week where he, he asks you this hypothetical of, let's say you got a heart attack and you're in the hospital and you're recovering and the doctor says, hey, good news, you're going to be fine long term. Bad news, you can't work as hard as you've been working because that stress has been leading to it. So you're only allowed to work two hours a day until you can fully recover, doctor's orders. So if the doctor said you can only work two hours a day, what would you do in those two hours to keep food on the table? in your business. That kind of question or hypothetical really begins to think, well, gosh, I normally used to work eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day. If I don't have that much time, I only have two hours, what would I do? I can't answer that for you, but your head starts to think about, well, I'd have to say no to this, 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 or this, but I couldn't say no to this. Like it reveals, and it might take you a while. Like if you really don't know, and some people don't know, then that is a harder exercise, but that's the kind of question you need to ask is, if I only had two hours a day to run my business, what would I do to guarantee I get paid? When it comes down to, and I don't want to make it all about the money, but if you're in business, that's that's the only the, the biggest measure of whether it's working or not. If you're not making money, you're yeah. not really in business. But so if we're going to be cold hearted for a moment, if you need to get paid, it really forces you to, act, to look at all the activities you're doing. Let me, oh, I'm going to pick on social media for a second because I love to because I think it's kind of dumb. <laughs> I just social deleted my media. Facebook, by the way, so I just, I just hey, wanted to throw that in you. there. <laughs> good for you, man. Social People have been duped into thinking that social media is the key to success. The problem is, and for some people it is, so I, let's get that out of the way. There's a few people that posting on social media does pay the bills. It's either brand deals, sponsored posts, um, mm -hmm. or they sell directly on Instagram and they have a really good thing going. And there are a few people that that is the most important thing they do all day. That's, that's the exception rather than the rule. The rest of us have been duped into thinking if we somehow grow on social media, have a bigger following, good things will happen. A, that's a big, weird, vague statement because no one can tell me what specifically will happen if I had a million followers versus a thousand. They just assume things will get better. Uh, so that's too vague. If you only have two hours a day and you need to get paid, is posting to Insta stories really gonna put money in your bank account? Can you prove to yourself that it will? If you can't, then you really have to put that task onto a separate list of I don't know yet if this really pays the bills. You don't have to say, Graham, you're right, it doesn't, but at least put it into I don't know, because you don't know, but maybe emailing some potential clients or following up with somebody, or if you're in the creative space and you sell your artwork, finishing that artwork so you can sell it, like. Get real basic what things actually pay the bills. I think you're a smart person. If, if you're listening, you'll figure it out. And that's kind of how you start to process what's most important. And then Tim Ferriss takes it further, right? He says, pretend you have a second heart attack. Same doctor's like, your heart's really weak. You can only work two hours a week. 
What would you do if you could only work two hours a week to put food on the table? That is how I arrived at, I would create one video and I would email my list promoting a product and that would be it. I wouldn't check email. I wouldn't be on social media. I don't have time for those things, but if I put a new piece of content out there in the world and promote one of my products to my email list, I will likely make money. And if that's all that matters and I only have two hours to do it, then that's what I would do. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I'm fully on board with what you're saying, by the way. Um, I get this all the time. People are like, but, you know, oh, I have this obstacle. I have that obstacle. For example, I work in corporate and I'm supposed to be in meetings all day. Or, you know what, Graham? I just get like 200 emails a day, you know, and I'm supposed to respond to these emails and I'm supposed to attend these meetings. So people have all these excuses why this will not work for them. Um how do you tell someone, how do you convince someone like that, right? To say, no, like you don't need to attend all those meetings. You don't need to answer every single email within five hours or, I mean, that's probably being generous. I think there's a lot of people that are like on Slack all day and like answering messages within five minutes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, I love the message, but like, you know, maybe... Let me ask you this. Is there a small way that people can get started doing that? Because this is a big ask maybe for people to just completely sure. like get off of social media or something like that. What is a small way that they could get started doing that? Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point, it is harder if you work for someone else, if you're in corporate, mm-hmm. than it is if you work for yourself. It's it's just as hard, but there's now other people you have to deal with. If it's if you're working for yourself, it's really your own discipline and choices. But a couple things to that. One it, it still goes back to identifying what really moves the needle and, and moves things forward. So let's say you're working for somebody else. You have to ask yourself the same questions. Let's say I got really sick. Let's say I got COVID or whatever it is. Um, but I still want to be able to make my boss happy and perform and not let my team down. If I only had a couple of hours that I felt comfortable or felt healthy enough to be out of bed working, what would I do to keep to try to keep my job going? and do the best I could, that would help give you that list of, well, the most important things I do in my work are X, Y, and Z. So you still need that prioritized list. I think that would be step one, just even identifying it. Even if you feel like there's no way I can cut anything, at least you know what's most important. Most people go through their whole lives not knowing that in general about life. What is truly most important in life? And and taking all the things that you think are important and putting them in the right order, that's hard work. But I would think that's step number one. And the step number two is, one of the easiest things you can do is batch what you're doing. Um, so you you brought up being in Slack all day or being in your email inbox all day. There's a lot of interesting studies being done about productivity and focus when you're interrupted. So when you're interrupted by something and you get off track, even a two-minute interruption, I, I think I read a study once. I have a friend who was writing a book about this, so I have to just ask him because he did all the studies. <laughs> Um, if you're interrupted for two minutes, it takes you on average 20 minutes to mentally be back to the level of focus you were at previous to the interruption. So it's these little, someone talks to you at the cubicle while you're working, or you get that little email because you keep your inbox open and oh, now you're back on track. You're losing chunks of time that you don't notice throughout the day. And if you add all those chunks of time up that you're having to re-get focused on what you were doing, you're losing a few hours a day. So the, the prevailing wisdom is choose to batch like activities. So email is a good example. Um, you have to decide that email is not going to be this ongoing open chat room. It's going to be something that you choose to check maybe twice a day. So maybe you check it in the morning when you get in 
and you catch up on what you needed to do from the day before and then you check it after lunch. Or maybe you do the opposite, you do lunch and then right before you finish your work day, but you're gonna give yourself 30 minutes or 45 minutes and do as many as you can in that period and then turn off the email so that you can have focused time. So I think a lot of it is understanding, don't try to do lots of things at once because even though it looks like you're multitasking, your brain cannot truly multitask like that. It's really trying to choose a thing to focus on. And so it's very adaptable. It's like, what do you want me to focus on? So it'll switch instantly. It's powerful, but you're losing ground every time you switch. So anytime you can stay on one type of task, you really do gain more time. Uh, And then the other thing is, and Tim Ferriss talks about this again in his book, because I think I didn't have this problem because when I was starting to follow his material, I had already left the corporate world and was working for myself. But there is the challenge of when you work with or for other people, gently and politely explaining to them that you're making some changes in the way you manage your time. So if, if you, as long as you can pitch it to your colleagues and your boss that it's in their best interest, right? It's all about serving other people. So like, hey, I'm only checking email twice a day so that I can get my, more of my stuff done so our team can get on you know, track or so my boss can look good, I can hit my numbers. So if you can always pitch it to the people that you're affected by or affected by what you do, that it's in their best interest if they let you skip a meeting or two or, hey, I know you're texting me, I'm not gonna be able to answer the phone for a few hours because I'm mid-work. I think people can slowly start to respect, okay, she's really trying to produce here. And I think actually it gets addictive and people catch on and they want to do the same thing too. But it takes a little bit of pushing outside of the normal rhythms of everyone's just constantly basically chatting all day long. And is anyone really getting any work done? It's hard to tell. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I wasn't expecting this, but you said something today that I also heard, or, or you said something just now that I also heard from d- today from my personal trainer. So I work with a personal trainer. I was meeting him this morning uh, outside in the park because gyms are closed here. We're on, we're on lockdown, but um, it was fun. You know, he mentioned that he turned his notifications off for chat apps on his phone because often while he's working with a client, he has the phone in hand to like, you know, it's like okay, he got eight reps of this weight done on this particular lift or whatever, um, and he noticed that when he got like text messages from people while he was like working with a client, he would just be completely distracted and lose focus on paying attention to the client, in this case, me, you know? So I I love what you said there. And this sounds a lot too like time blocking. Um, You know, you're saying like, for example, spend 45 minutes, right? Working through your email, you know, maybe once or twice a day. Um, And I think you've mentioned time blocking before in your own podcast. So I'm just kind of curious to what degree you do that? Like, can you describe your process for this this batching thing that you talk about? For example, do you um, is your entire week full of blocks? You know, your entire workday and a whole work week, or is it just some chunks? You're like, no, you know what? Always from four to five, I'm doing email, but I leave a lot of creative space, empty space in between that time. Yeah, it's a great question. I've done probably a combination of both. These days, mm-hmm. I'm working in ninety minute blocks of time. Um, so, for example. I'll come in on a on a Monday or on any of my work days, let's say. It's 9 a.m. to 10.30, so that hour and a half block is work, and then I have a 30-minute break, and then 11 to 12.30, then 30-minute break, and then 1 to 2.30, and 30-minute break, and then I'm done at 3. That's kind of when I close things up. Um, so within those six hours of a work day, there's really three 90-minute blocks of work. So like four and a half hours of actual work, and then the rest is, you know, getting a coffee, t- walking around the block, you know, catching up my wife on the phone for a minute if she needs something. Um, th- what that has allowed me to do is 
it's like make a reservation with myself. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, from nine to ten thirties or ten thirty, I have available or I don't have available. So, like, let's say Peter, like for example, right now we're doing this podcast. So for me, it's it's nine a.m. It's in my nine a.m. to ten thirty block. So when we mm-hmm. wanted to sync up. Um, I'm like, hey, I can do it during this block because I know that's available as opposed to, hey, I'm, I'm in the office all day Monday between these hours and these hours. And so I'm almost telling people when I'm available instead of giving them a bigger chunk of time to pick from. So I've already almost ch- chopped up my day into more easy to remember and easy to be in or out type blocks. So sometimes the blocks are empty. If nothing was filled with it, then I have an empty block. If I do need to do something, I'll, I'll use the block. So that's worked out well for me lately. Um, but it's the same concept of I've always, I've always been disciplined to give a name for, for all the time in my week. Like it's all scheduled out in the sense that I want to make sure I get the most important things done. I don't want to just say, okay, I hope I get everything done this week. I, I really have to make a reservation with myself of like, okay, this is when I'm going to film my video. This is when I'm going to check email, take care of customers. This is when I'm going to jump on that podcast. If I don't schedule it, I'm just hoping in effect that there'll be time for everything. And there should be, but I like, I feel more in control when I can schedule something. And then if somebody needs something, I'm like, I'm busy during these hours, but I can make time for you during these hours. And most people are accommodating. So Time blocking has been tremendously helpful for me. Man, I love what you said there about feeling more in control because that's something a lot of my students basically report that the reason that they need help is because they're not feeling in control of their stuff. And it's something I've personally wrestled with as well. And so I don't schedule out my days or weeks nearly as much as you do. Like I, you know, I feel a lot of resistance when it comes to putting a time block on my calendar. You know what I'm saying? I'm not the only person. This is for a lot of people. This sounds really onerous. Um, At the same time, everybody who does it always tells me, no, 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 no. You actually feel more freedom because now you feel really comfortable with like you've done all the basics, right? And then the rest of the day, um, you can relax a little bit. However, um, you do need a certain discipline. So if you're telling yourself ahead of time, hey, you know, Thursday morning from 10 to 11.30, I'm going to record a YouTube video and you wake up groggy, maybe you're a little bit tired and sleep super well, you don't feel like doing it, do you still do it? Oh, that's the question. All the creatives ask me that kind of question because they're like, I don't want to have to do anything creative if I don't feel inspired. So I I land on the side of do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, nine times out of 10. I'm not always this way because I do think you have to, if you're doing creative work, especially, you do have to be in tune with how you're feeling because if it's a performance and and anytime you're creating content, that is performing. Uh, You have to be on, you know, Um, that, that takes a certain amount of emotional energy and mental energy, not just having the time to do it. And sometimes you're just not going to do great work. And I, I do think there's an element of knowing yourself well enough that if it's really bad or you're just really not in it, just having the... Here, well, here it goes back to this. If you're disciplined enough most of the time, you have the freedom to say, I'm not feeling it today and not going to do yeah. a video. But if that's what you're always saying because you're not disciplined, then every day it could become like, well, I don't feel like it today. So the, it really depends on if you're 90% of the time really disciplined, I think you have that freedom and can afford that freedom. Generally speaking, though, I do try to assume I'm going to do it anyway. 
and I can rally. Like, and that might just be me, but when the camera's on, if I have to, I can be on. And a lot of times, some of my best episodes or videos I've done, when people, and I say that they're the best in the sense of people, I get the most feedback. Oh my gosh, this was so amazing. And I think back to that day, I'm like, that was the day I was so frustrated with something I did, or I was so tired. Uh, and it's amazing how that doesn't come across sometimes. And so I've learned, even if I feel like it's not going to be good, that's not a good indicator of how it will actually project on camera or on the, on the recording. So that leads me to be more lenient with myself and say, well, I'm just going to do it anyway, um, even if I don't feel it. But I think that's a personal decision. But I think the more disciplined you are, it's just like what you said, you have a, a trainer, a personal trainer. You sound like a disciplined person with your, your physical health and probably your, your nutrition as well. If you're working out regularly and eating well most of the time, if you really want to have pizza or a donut or something unhealthy, you can. You actually can because you're so disciplined most of the time. It's the person that's always like, well, I just feel like pizza today every single day. They can't really afford to do that. So I think it's pretty similar. Yeah, totally. And if I, you know, it, it happened last week that like I had a very bad night's sleep and I, so I come in, I go to meet my trainer anyway, and I tell him, look, man, I really didn't sleep so well, maybe, maybe five hours, you know, whereas normally I want to sleep eight hours or more, you know, and he was like, all right, let's take it easy today. But that's fine. Cause he knows me as someone who normally shows up and like, I'm working hard, you know, like if I were always taking it easy, probably he'd be like, all right, Peter, come on. <laughs> so, yep. um, and, and I do think with creative work, like you're saying, you have to be really careful with it, you know? And so I don't even think it's only creative work, but also I like to think of sort of high level work that people who are maybe, even if you're like a corporate manager, sometimes you've just got to do something. You may not think about it of creative work. You may not think, oh, I'm not a painter. Okay, but like you need to do, do like the vision for your company. You know, you need to do like strategy. That kind of stuff also really requires you to be in the zone. Um, Anyway, that got me thinking about this. So you run multiple businesses and some of your work is creative work, like creating videos, creating podcast episodes. Um, you've also got a lot of, uh, have you read Deep Work by Cal Newport? It's a, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so what Cal Newport calls shallow work, right? So you've got a bunch of that. I'm sure a lot of people emailing you all the time, students needing support and stuff like that. Um, so, so you've got several different hats to wear almost, right? So you're Graham, the business owner for two, two different businesses. And so then you're, you're a teacher, content creator, um, but you also got to think about marketing. You got to think about the finances of your business. Um, I believe you work with a virtual assistant. Is that still the case? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in that sense, you're kind of like, maybe not literally an employer, but you're kind of an employer. So mm -hmm. how do you juggle having all these different kinds of responsibilities, which also really require different mental spaces to be in, right? So is that just something that you time block and you say, Thursdays, I'm going to deal with all the admin for the business or whatever. Fridays, I'm creating content. Or is that something that runs through each other a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, in real life, it all blends together. In my head, I like to keep things compartmentalized. So what you described is exactly what I like to do. I call them theme days. So I do like to have days where I'm creating content um, and I'll batch some content. Um, depending on how long the videos are, I'll, maybe I'll do two, maybe I'll do three, it just depends. But that allows me, like if I come in on a Monday, when I'm creating my content, they're usually on Mondays, so I'll come in and I'll batch a couple of videos. I don't have to worry about anything else, but just thinking about what I wanna teach. I'm in teacher mode, I'm in setting up my camera mode, I'm in, yeah. you know, all that, all that stuff that goes along with actually producing a, a piece of content that's effective and good. I feel like if I can theme that day with that kind of stuff, then I afford myself the liberty of not having to think about the finances or think about customer service or think about marketing, which was great. And then I can get all that done. 
And then I can have another day that's themed to be maybe more of the administration of the, the business. So I'm looking at analytics, I'm looking at how, you know, what kind of videos are performing, if my emails are performing, what, what sales are looking like. And that's fun too, but I don't have to think about, oh, I also have to shoot a video today. I can just right. be in my Kajabi backend or I can just be talking to, like I have a marketing team on the Recording Revolution side of things that we talk about our, our latest promotion, what we're going to do here. And that, again, the, the discipline ahead of time, the discipline is I think the, the theme I keep coming back to because it's just like anything in life. If you're disciplined, it actually gives you more freedom. Boundaries create freedom. Um, planning ahead creates freedom. And so as a creative myself, because I'm a musician by trade, I, I, I understand the need to want to be free to do whatever the heck I want. And I've learned actually planning out ahead of time and having boundaries which look like strict you know, limitations. They actually are the opposite. They then allow you to know where you can run free and you feel free. Just like a painter, you tell a painter, just paint me something. And they say, anything, like, whatever you want. They're like, okay, well, what, do you want me to paint it on the side of a building or on a piece of paper? Like, what's the medium? Paint whatever you want. It's almost too open-ended. But if I give you a canvas yeah. and it's it's this size, paint me something within these these lines of the canvas. You got it. Then they can create anything, but they have some boundary within which to work. That's when creativity comes to life. It's the same in business. So a little bit of a boundary, a little bit of a discipline. Hey, this is my content day. Hey, this is my back-end business day. Hey, this is my... Uh, I have days when I just do podcast interviews. I have days when I just do coaching calls for my own students. So I batch them all in the same day. So like on Wednesdays, I have, I have a mastermind that I lead. Every Wednesday we meet. And then once a month, I have like a live coaching call with my membership people. I batch all that type of work on a Wednesday. So I'm doing a lot of talking and extroverting and answering questions. And I'm on Zoom all day long. But I stay in that mode. I, can, I don't want to do that the next day, but I only did it for one day. And that really helps because I feel free to come in. I'm like, what am I doing today? Oh, it's just all live coaching. So I, I make coffee. I just extrovert for the day. But I don't have to worry about other stuff. So I think theming really, really helps. And you can do that if you're a solopreneur or if uh, you have a team. Either way, you can choose to theme your days. Um, and that does help too if you have multiple things you're, you're a part of. So with two businesses, I would have to have content for one business on one day, content for the other business on the other day because those are two very different niches. I'm thinking about music production one day and then I'm thinking about online business and marketing the other day. Those are two very different subject areas. So I have to really break that out. I couldn't really blend the two together either because I'm having to mentally be in two different places at once. So wearing hats, it's possible to wear many hats, but it's again, multitasking isn't a real thing. It's more of a myth. So I think you do need to choose to come in one day as one person and come in another day as another person and keep them separate. I love that analogy um, of asking the painter just to just paint you anything. I think that's a fantastic way of looking at um, the discipline and boundaries angle. So speaking of boundaries, um, I know you have a family. And so one of the most common object objections that I get from my students when, you know, I'm teaching them some technique or whatever, is like, Peter, that works great for you, but I have kids. <laughs> you know, that's just something I hear a lot. And um, I was looking at your website earlier, and there's, there's something that you wrote on your website, which I'm going to read back to you, because I really want to get your take on this. Um, and so it says, because of my business, I'm able to spend time with my wife and daughters, volunteer at my church, get regular sleep, and focus on being as generous as I can with the blessings I've been given. That's something you wrote on your website. And I find that really interesting because so many people see business and family in conflict. They're like, mm. yes, I own a business, and it's very difficult for me. I have to spend my time either on my business or on my family. But your take is very different. It, there's, it do doesn't sound like that's such a conflict. So can you explain what you mean by that? 
Yeah, I mean, there's two things to it. One is, I think, make sure you're in the right type of business. Some businesses are more <laughs> demanding than others. You know,、sure. um, if you're doing client work, you know, you have to be paid for your time, and so the only way out of that is to really have. Premium rates and take on fewer clients, but so I, I'm I'm in an online business. It's passive income. It's very scalable, which is wonderful. Which is why I love it, do it, and teach it because it's really given me a lot of flexibility. Where my income isn't capped by how many hours I'm in the office.、Um, so that is that's one caveat: is what type of business are you in? And a lot of businesses. Can incorporate a passive income element to them, which could、mm -hmm. free up more of your time. So I, I make the case. I think any business you could actually work fewer hours in, and at very least maintain your income, if not grow. For example, one of my students,、um, she's out in California, and she、uh, she is in a healthcare space, and she's a, a practitioner. She has her own clinic. She has three young children, and she started to follow some of my techniques last year. And she she cut her work hours in her clinic in half, but kept her income the same. So she didn't make more money, but now she works only twenty hours a week, and so she has more time to take care of her kids. So that's very possible in almost any industry. So that helps. The second thing is, if you understand what you value in life and your priorities. So if these students of yours that have kids, I'm sure they really value their kids and their family. And that's the conflict they're finding. If that truly is something you value, then I would say have the guts to experiment with whether or not your business can grow if you work in it less. I think there's a fear, and it may, I don't know if it's the same in Amsterdam in America. There's this there's this culture of if you're driving a car, you put your foot on the gas pedal and you drive as fast and as far as you can, like. This is your chance. If you don't drive hard now, you'll maybe never make it. And that—that's either explicitly communicated or a lot of times implicitly communicated. And so there's this fear, I think, in a lot of people in America of like, I got to work all the time to to make my my claim and make make a name for myself or make as much money as I can. And so if you tell someone to let off the gas pedal a little bit and drive a little slower, they think, no, 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 no. That sounds nice. I get it, Graham. It sounds nice. But if I do that. I'm going to fall behind all my competitors. They're all going to take over, and then I, I won't exist. I won't have a business. That's never been tested or proven. It's just what they think is going to happen. And so my challenge to those people is try it, because life—if you really believe life is about more than your business and your money—because some people that's all they care about is business and their money—and that's hard to convince them to slow down. If that's all they want, that's all they want.、Yep. But if you have a family or anything else, like you want to sleep eight hours a night or be able to have time to work out, basic nice things,、um, then. The challenge is to challenge those preconceived notions. Like, choose to work less because you have to. So for me, I'm like, I must work less because I have to. If I want to see my kids, if I want to have time on the weekends, if I want to have dinner every night with my family, then I physically can't be working during those hours. So my challenge to myself was, I'm going to limit how many hours I work. And when I started, it, it was 32 hours. It's the most I've ever worked in a week on my business. I, I worked Monday through Thursday. Nine to five, and I always took Fridays off and then the weekends off when I started. So that was the most I've ever worked, and I've I've been able to chop that way down. But I I made a decision. It was just a decision, but I was just as scared as anybody because I thought this isn't going to work. This is not going to work. But I'm going to try it because I must try it because I don't want to be successful and rich and have no time for my family. I'd rather. And this is what it gets down to, Peter. Is are you willing to potentially make less money, not be the the biggest and best in your industry, 
but but live and have a family. Like you have to get to that point if you're willing to do that. So it feels like a sacrifice. But if you're willing to do that, I think if you test the theory and if you're efficient and productive, and if you listen to everything Peter's saying on the podcast, you actually can actually grow your business while working less, which is crazy. And then you have the two best currencies in the world. You have money and time. And then you're really wealthy because then you can do whatever you want and you can enjoy life with the people you love. So I think it's a narrative that's so stuck in our heads that we can't slow down. And there's so much fear of like, there's so much desire. I wish I could slow down, but they're afraid what would happen if I do. And I, I feel like I'm on a mission. Maybe when it comes to productivity, I like to talk about this. I'm on a mission to challenge that for people because I want people to experience more freedom. So I want to challenge it and say, why don't you give it a shot? What's the worst that can happen? You make less money. You don't grow as fast as your competitor. That's fine. What if it takes you five years to get to your two-year goal? But what if you still have a life? I think you can have it all. I know you can have it all. I'm living proof of it. But it does take you fighting that fear of like, because it is scary to slow down when everyone is running faster. It feels really wrong. But I can tell you from the other side, it is so much better to watch people killing themselves. It's depressing. But I'm getting more time, more life, and my business keeps growing. That's the crazy thing. So there are two things that stand out to me when you say this. So one of them is you talk about fear. And fear is an emotion, and you mentioned some other emotions. I notice a lot of the times, for example, that um, people who are struggling with this decision, like family versus business or related decisions, it's like a guilt thing. You know, it's an emotion thing. I feel guilty for like, uh, you know, you know, um, whenever I work late, I feel bad, but then, you know, towards my family. But then if I like go home earlier, stop working earlier, now I feel bad towards like my business. And so um, the first thing I would like to know is whether you have any kind of reflective process for what's going on with feelings why you know like time blocking all those we can talk about a lot of productivity techniques for actually like producing more stuff but do you have any kind of process for reflecting on how you're feeling is what i'm interested in um yeah let's start there let's start there hmm. yeah feelings complicate things right because we, we're not we're not just robots that can just do something no. or not do something we have we have feelings uh to me to me again this is where work, work in life, it's all integrated. Like you cannot really separate the two. It's all your life. So, and life is a series of choices. Rarely do you have to do anything. A lot of things we think we have to do. I understand what we mean by that, but really you're still choosing to do that. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go to work. You just won't get paid, but you don't have to, you know? So there's a lot of things you don't have to do, but you choose to do. So life is a series of choices. And that's where it comes down to, if, if everyone, everyone is so freaking busy, everyone is, is so obsessed with getting stuff done, or even if we're not busy, we're constantly on our darn phones looking at stuff. So we're, we're, our minds are constantly working. So we're, it's, it's like we're in a, in a stream that's flowing and, and we just, we, we're flowing along with it. We can't stop. It takes effort to, to grab this, the edge of the river, the, be, you know, the bank of the river, and stop from flowing while everyone's flowing past you and pull yourself out of the river for a moment. Step out of the frenzy to assess, do I like where I'm going? Is this what I want my life to be like? If not, what do I value in life? And a lot of times we haven't even asked ourselves these things. That's fine. So it's, it's okay, I don't know what I want. I, I had a, a coach ask me about a year ago, you know, write down 50 things you want in life. I was like, I can't. 
I can't even think. I don't, I'm so thinking about producing and being productive. I don't know what I want. So even me, I don't know what I want. So that was a hard exercise. We, so stopping being part of the frenzy and pulling yourself out of the, the madness for a moment to ask, what, I, what do I truly value in life? And that is a feeling thing. So you, most people are actually afraid to ask big questions like, what do I value most in life? What's most important in life? I don't feel like enough people have deep philosophical questions, spiritual questions, religious questions. All of this stuff is very integrated. And so we're just too busy to have these deep conversations, even with ourselves, or we're afraid to ask. We don't don't even want to go there because I just got to keep producing. But if you can, if you say, look, I really value friendships. I really value my family. I really value uh, like contributing to uh, certain charitable organizations or my church or I, I what, what do you really value? I value doing work that feels not only fun in the moment, but I feel like it ma- is making a difference in the world. Is, is my work, even maybe my business that I built, is that really doing that? If you can identify those things and identify how you feel when you're doing certain things, then I think you can have the courage to say, what am I willing to let go of, tweak a little bit, Etc. So, for example, I'll give you a specific example. I have two businesses: the Recording Revolution, where I teach musicians how to record music. I've been doing that for twelve mm-hmm. years, and then this personal brand, where I've been teaching people on my business for about three years. Mm-hmm. For the last, what is this? Twenty twenty one. For the last six years, I have known that I'm kind of not as interested in music as I once was. So, mm-hmm. six years ago, I remember being honest with myself for the first time and saying. I really, I'm kind of done with music recording stuff. Like it's been my whole life. I think I'm done. And I got scared of that thought. Like I would have that thought and then that thought would make me really scared because I'm like, well, first of all, that's my business. So what is that? What am I saying? Am I going to stop this business? That's what pays the bills. And it's really successful. It's actually the most successful thing I've ever done, which led me to my, led me to my other fear, which is it's become my identity oh my gosh, that's who I am. I am the music guy. If I don't do the music thing, who am I? And what will people think? What will I think about myself? Am I giving up on a good thing? I have plenty of friends who would be jealous of my situation. Would they be like, gosh, I can't believe you gave that up. I had all these weird internal fears. So what did I do? I just stuffed that that feeling away and kept on plugging away at my business for another (laughs) three years. (laughs) <laughs> until I finally was like, I can't keep doing this. And I also was recognizing I had this desire to teach people about business. I was coaching people one-on-one because people would just reach out to me. They'd, they'd see me in a podcast or an article about how I was making a certain kind of money in a random niche with music and like, how do you do this? So I had, I had clients that I was coaching and I was like, I want to just do this. Like I want to tell the world about online business. It's changed my life. So not, it's not music related, but it's it's what's allowed me to have this amazing life. So I was like, this is what I want to do, but I was afraid. Again, what will people think? Because aren't you the music guy, Graham? People know me as a certain thing. Stay in your lane. So I had fears about identity. I had fears about whether I could even pull it off in a second niche. Maybe I got lucky. That was one of my biggest fears. Maybe I just was lucky, and if I start a second business, it'll fail, and then I'll be exposed as a fraud, and I'll feel stupid. Uh, I also was afraid because this niche of being an online business is a very crowded, big niche with a lot of big players, and and it's already being executed pretty well. So I had a lot of fears about, like, will I even matter? Can I really contribute something new? So talk about feelings. I had all of these feelings that kept me from 
living out my priorities and values. And it took me finally getting honest with myself of like, I must start this second business or else I will be a miserable person. And so I finally started it and I've been running the two together. And just this year, after three years of running two businesses at the same time, I finally stepped out where I'm no longer doing the content for the recording revolution just four weeks ago mm. from when we're talking. And so that was a that was a, a year and a half transition to get there, maybe two years. But that was scary too. Like, what will my audience think? Like, I've known I've been stepping out eventually, but what will they think? Where did Graham go? Is he just quitting on us? Like, and so, so many fears. But again, it's, I have to step outside of the day to day and ask, what do I truly want? And what truly do I feel like God's calling me to do? And who do I feel like I really am supposed to be? And am Am I living based out of other people's expectations or fears of what won't work? Or am I living according to my values? And no one can tell, tell you what your values are, but I think it takes a certain level of maturity and effort and honesty to say, am I doing things that I truly value? And if I'm not, because most of us aren't, at least fully, okay, what am I going to do to slowly transition into doing the things? Maybe I can't cut everything in one day. But what, what steps could I take today, maybe this week? What one step could I take this week to live closer to my values? And that's where then your productivity tips and all the practical strategies become helpful, but they're only helpful to serve the, the means of living as true to what you really value and what you really care about. I absolutely agree. And thanks for sharing how you, you know, some of your feelings that you had as you were making this business. We can call it pivot or starting your second business because I do think that we don't talk about that enough, especially men don't talk about it enough. I have a, you know, having a productivity business, um, I would say maybe 60% or 70% of my listeners tend to be men, and we don't talk about this, these things enough. Like, mm. we all have these feelings. Even people who are very successful, like Graham, you know, like, like 600,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel, probably someone could look at you and think, he's got it all together. He's fine. You know, like, he's emotionally, like, always nope. 100%. <laughs> and, like, you know... Even even for me, like I'm I'm at an earlier stage of my business journey, but people think, man, he's got it all together. I'm like, no, like you should come look at my head sometime, and it'll yeah. be a real mess. Um, all right, I, I want to ask two more things. Um, one of them is, so you are really big on the same thing that I'm big on, which is having an online business because it gives you. You were saying earlier, it can give you both time and money, which is kind of, you, you need time, money, and health, right? To really yes, <laughs> do whatever you want yes. with your life. And so I, I think for health, it's a very good good thing as well. So do you think that someone who's like, oh, you know, I don't have enough time to pursue what I want, um, is this really the only true way that you can make more time, you know, for, for example, for your family or whatever, right? Or are there other ways, and is it totally possible if you're in a corporate environment or whatever, to do the same thing where you really feel in control, you can spend your time with a reasonable degree of freedom? That's a great question. No, it's not the only way. I, I think, again, just go, go read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And even if you don't agree with everything he teaches or you don't have the same goals, like to travel the world and be a kung fu champion and, and, a, and do tango lessons in <laughs> you know, Buenos Aires, his, he has a, an entire section on if, you're, if you work for somebody else or if you work for yourself, because they're, they're similar but different angles of the problem. His book really showed me that I think if you want a semblance of freedom, let's say you work for somebody else, you work in a corporate environment, you have to think like an entrepreneur in the sense that mm. at the end of the day, even if your boss says what they want is your butt in a seat for a certain amount of hours a day, 
really that's not what they want. They, they don't care really about you. They care about themselves and about results for the company because that affects their pay and it affects their job. So if you can think like an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur's job is to think about what do people need and how can I add value into the world, that's what you do as an employee as well. So you almost have to treat your, your day-to-day like you work for yourself and your, your clients are your boss and your colleagues. So how can you serve your boss and your colleagues in such a way that you're so invaluable to them uh, that they realize you get so much done and more, taking on even more responsibility, which you're thinking, well, Graham, that's only going to take more hours of my day. How is that helping me? It's, it's really not about hours as much as results. If you can convince your boss or your colleagues that you're going to help, like that you could take on some more responsibility and it won't affect your other responsibilities, and then you use some of the productivity tips that, Peter, you're teaching and other people are teaching to get it all done – you're going to be able to show them that you can bring a ton of value. You're going to probably get more opportunities for promotions. You're going to have more leverage to ask for things like, hey, can I, I mean, it's a little bit easier maybe in COVID now for certain jobs. Can I take Fridays off or can I, you know, come in or work from home one month or one week out of the month? If if you can prove to them that you're so invaluable and you're getting stuff done, um, then you have more leeway to ask for things. And I think you can create an environment where you're one of those untouchable employees that gets perks that the other employees are like, how does he get the, you know, Fridays off? He's never here. It's because you step up and add value. And I know this when I used to work at a, a technology company, software company, uh, there was a guy that came into our department probably six months after I did. And I realized six months later, he, he was disappearing a lot and he was in the office with our boss a lot and then all of a sudden we were like hey we got told todd no longer works in this department he's now a project manager of this other department i'm like wait wait Mm. i've been here longer than todd why no what has todd done and it turns out that todd was working extra time to begin with he was taking on more tasks from our boss he was doing other people's jobs for them like like hey let me do that for you or oh i'll come in on a saturday for you he was doing all this stuff for a while while i was just clocking in and out exactly at nine to five i was i don't like to work hard so i wasn't doing anything extra and he was basically showing our team and our our boss that he was the most valuable person on the team and then he got promoted and then now he had a much better work schedule much better pay, better benefits. And uh, I learned a powerful lesson then of like, oh, he proved to be more valuable in this office than I was. And when that happened, then he could ask for the moon and get at least half the way there. So I think that's the secret if you work for somebody else is show yourself to be valuable, then you have more flexibility to try for maybe non-traditional work schedules. And you'd be surprised if you can prove to someone that you can still get it done, they'll be happy. It sounds like Todd took Entrepreneurship 101 and applied it to his job, which I think is a fantastic lesson. Everybody should take Entrepreneurship 101. Graham, um, final question. If people love what you've had to say today, where can they find out more about you? And is there anything in particular that you'd like them to check out? Yeah, I would say if you're interested in the online business stuff and you're like, that sounds interesting to me, how does it actually work? Uh, I would say go to GrahamCochran.com. Right there on the homepage is a workshop you can watch. I put together like a 45-minute, 50-minute training, video training that kind of walks you through the entire business model. And it's like four It's like four key components that you need. A lot of people are aware of one or two of them. You need all four, and they have to work together. But it'll it'll totally expose all of it for you so you see the business model. 
and that you can run with that. And you don't have to buy a course of mine. You don't have to do anything of mine to really start your online business. That workshop will teach you how to do it. So if you're interested in that, I would check that out. Otherwise, the Graham Cochran Show podcast, it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or you can watch it on the YouTube channel. Just search Graham Cochran. Every week, a new uh, a new episode on business, uh, life, productivity, uh, wealth management, all that stuff. So that's And then if you do Instagram, I'm not personally on it. My assistant's been uploading for me. I've been taking a year off of social media. <laughs> Um, almost, it's almost been a year, so maybe I'll be back. I don't know, but uh, uh, at the Graham Cochran on Instagram, that's where my my most recent stuff is being uploaded. Yeah, and even if people are not necessarily super interested in online business, they still got to go check out your podcast, the Graham Cochran Show, because like you know, we were talking about this before we started recording. There's a lot of productivity stuff on there. That's not supposedly what your podcast is about, but you talk about productivity stuff all the time. So I want people to go check that out. Anyway, thanks so much, Graham, for coming on the show. Hey, Peter, thanks for the conversation. It was fun. Hey, if you like the show, subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. We'd also love it if you rated the show on Apple Podcasts. To find out more about Peter or about today's guest, check out the show notes. Thank you for joining us on this episode of How They Get Stuff Done.